Good morning, everyone. Lovely, bright, sunny day. And uh, yeah, we're blessed to be back in God's house again. And uh, as, as we come together, uh, we pray that God will be moving among us and blessing us. Um, and before, before, we, uh, before we get going with our worship, just a few announcements this morning. Uh, if you're a church member, uh, Tuesday night we have our quarterly church meeting at half seven. So it'd be good if you can come along to that. On Thursday evening at half past seven, we have a talk um, by Caring for Life, and they're coming down from Leeds to give us a, an update then, and uh, that's, the whole meeting will be dedicated to that. Also for men, we have a, uh, a, a dinner out um, on uh, Tuesday the 7th of November, and that's up at uh, the Rose of Bengal, and at the moment we... But the more details are, are coming, but at the moment, if you can just save the day, it's 7th of November, and maybe start thinking about who you might like to invite along, um, and, uh, and, and bring to that, and there'll be a talk there that evening as well, so it should be, should be really good. Uh, now, I just want to a couple of verses to read, um, actually, um, verse for the day, so if you use the same app as I do, then you might have already seen this this morning, but I thought a really special verse as we come to worship together. And they're found in Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And I thought it was just really striking, really excited me this morning to think that God's word is going out here this morning and it's not going out without a purpose. It's because something's going to happen. It's God's word has a, has a purpose. God has a purpose for his word. And I thought it was just really exciting to think that God might be beginning a work in someone here this morning or capping off a work that's already started. But praise to his name. And um, as, as we, before we get started with the song, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have a purpose for your word. And as we gather here this morning, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to come and uh, worship you today. And we pray that's exactly what we will do. And that we won't just be here out of routine, but that, Lord, you will stir up our hearts and there will be a hunger after you. And we thank you, Lord, that your word has a purpose. And that we are so blessed here at Forest Fold to have the word faithfully spoken uh, week to week. And we thank you, Lord, that... Uh, you, you use the preaching here to have your voice heard and so we pray that the ears of our hearts and souls will be open this morning that we will be responsive and receptive to your word and that Lord it won't return to you empty Lord it can't return to you empty you have a purpose and we pray that you'll be stirring up hearts this morning increasing our love and knowledge of you and we pray for, them, for your presence now to make the difference here this morning in Jesus name Amen Our first him this morning is Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. This fits in with the theme of this morning um, and uh, 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 John's message is a, ch- a chapter about God and um, yeah, we, we're thinking here about the holiness of God as we sing Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Let's stand when the music starts.
Well, shall we join together in praise and in prayer? Let's pray. O Lord our God, we have sung holy, holy, holy. And we want to come in recognition of how far above us you are, of your great highness, that you are the transcendent Lord God, you are the creator of the ends of the earth, you are almighty, you are pure, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We come to you as the good and the great and the gracious God and we want to come in worship of your righteousness and your faithfulness and to wonder at the fact that though you are mighty, you are also merciful and kind and full of love. Help us, Lord, today, especially, we say, it's the Lord's day sometimes, and we pray it will be a day when the Lord is very much in our mind and that we might be freed up, uh, stirred to praise you and worship you. And as we come in recognition of your greatness, Lord, we confess our smallness, our weakness, our sinfulness, Lord, that we are nothing compared with you, that we should be humble before you. And we pray that we will be humbled rightly before you, but then wonderfully taken up with what has happened through Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross so that we're adopted into your family and forgiven and given hope and peace and joy. Lord, help us to have that right combination as we come before you of of, of reverence and yet joy and freedom and wonder. Lord, we come to you and we thank you that it's been a good week for us as a church and that we have so many things to be thankful for. We thank you for the many things which occur in the life of this church, for what is done and uh, so useful for really small children, for mums and dads and parents and carers, for what is done for young people, for Thrive and for Rooted. We thank you for the Bible studies that are done, um, linked with this church and the prison opportunities which are uh, available to our members to pass on the Gospel. And we thank you as well for a good men's evening on Wednesday when many of us were really encouraged in your truth Um, for a really good uh, women's retreat yesterday, which was such a blessing and went so well. We praise you for these things. We pray that you'd help us to go onwards, uh, remembering the truth that we have heard. As we're reminded, sometimes we're much better at getting the information than on the implementation of those things. And we pray that you'd help us to carry truth forward in our lives. Lord, as we do come... This morning we are mindful of the international situation, situations which are very troubling and to us we know so little, we're often confused by them, we realise they're so delicate, but we commit it to you, Sovereign Lord. Lord, we do pray that there may be just peace. We do pray that those who need to defend their nations and their people will do so in a way which is appropriate and proportionate. We do pray that conflicts may not 
uh, ripple pond out to become all engulfing in regions and across this world. We pray for immense wisdom to be given to those who are national leaders and who bear such responsibilities at these times. Lord, help those who are believers in these situations and for us who look on. We're reminded of the words of Jesus in times of trouble when he says, look up because your redemption draws near. Help us to realise that in all the frightening circumstances we are redeemed by Christ and we head for a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, we're also mindful of our national church and its difficulties. We pray for those who are trying to uphold clear biblical truths and principles at a time when it's being compromised. We pray that you'd give them the right combination of wisdom and courage and meekness and love. And we pray that good may come out of these difficult times and that the gospel may advance and your name may be glorified. We pray for our country at this time. It does seem in some ways a day of small things. It does seem as though the terrain is very hard to the gospel. But Lord, we know that you are a God of grace and power and we pray for your mercy and blessing on our nation and on our region and on our town. We thank you for the privilege of being here this morning to help us to count it a privilege, give us an appetite for worship, an appetite for your word. We pray for those who listen in or watch online or see it later. Lord, we do pray for blessing on them, especially those unable to get out because they're unwell or because they're older. Bless them in their homes, we pray. We thank you for the different ages we have here. It's such a delight to have the whole range of ages here. We do pray for blessing on old and young. And as we soon come to our children's talk, Lord, do help our children and those that are younger in years to hide your word in their hearts, we pray. And these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have a children's talk in a minute, but just before that I want to um, plug something that's coming up um, in less than three weeks' time. It's a conference uh, organised by the Sussex Gospel Partnership. It's just up the road at the Green at All Saints. Uh, Most of us, most of us, don't we? we, we struggle a bit with sharing our faith. We feel as though we stumble, we miss opportunities and we fluff them. And uh, we often need help to know how to share our faith with others. Well, that's the theme of the conference this year. Uh, Glenn Scrivener is the main speaker and it's called Unashamed. And uh, it's during the day, morning, afternoon, and it's got uh, two main sessions on good news to love and good news to share. It's got seminars to give specific help to people and... uh, Um, Luke was just telling me beforehand what a good speaker Glenn Scrivener is and how he's booked up and we've booked up as well. Um, You might find it helpful. Last year's conference I listened to afterwards and it was tremendous. Really good sessions. Um, It is a Saturday so this isn't a hard sell. 
lots of things uh, are needed to be done on Saturday. It's sometimes the only day to get things done, the only family day. So this isn't a hard push. And it is our fireworks Saturday. So we've got a thing on in the evening, which we, we put a, a high priority on. And some of you are involved with getting ready for that. We're certainly not looking to distract you from that. But if you think you find it helpful, um, then uh, do look it up. There's leaflets in the entrance hall and the booking is done online. Just an extra mention, um, there are children's tracks there. Uh, Mark himself is involved with the, the youth work that's done. They're also looking for some people to help with teas and coffees up there on the day. They won't miss the teaching sessions, but it will be a help. So if you can help out in that way, let Mark know or contact the, the Gospel Partnership. Okay, thank you. Well, children, do come up and John is going to do uh, the children's talk now. Good, good. Come and join us. We've got some visitors today. That's good, isn't it, to have some visitors with us. Welcome. Okay, right, here we are. Good. Okay, so I saw a news headline uh, a while back. Here it is. India successfully launches its first mission to the sun. I had to reread it because I thought it might say to the moon. But it said to the sun. And I thought, hmm, I don't know much, but they're going to run into some problems at some stage. What sort of problems might they run into sending a mission to the sun, yeah? They might get burnt. Yes, they might get burnt. Yeah, Any, anything else to add to that? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It would be, wouldn't it? Impossible. Big ball of fire. Okay, here's the sun. And um, so, it just got me thinking about the sun, really, and how amazing and huge it is. And your dinner cooks at about 200 degrees in the oven. On a volcano on Earth, the lava melts at about... 1,000 degrees, but the surface of the sun is 5,600 degrees. And inside it's 15 million degrees, apparently. I don't know how they find that out. But it got me asking other questions like, well, how big is the sun compared to the Earth? And how far away is the sun from the Earth? So I thought what we'd do this morning is we'd, we'd create a model. Now here's, this isn't the real size planet, is it? You know this? We, we, this has been shrunk right down loads of times so we can hold the world in our hands and we're just up there. I mean, you can barely see us on, on there. And I thought, well, now we need a model of the sun, but we wouldn't better fit it in the room. In fact, it would be about five times the height of the building. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to shrink this down a lot more, okay? So this is a model, isn't it? Yeah, it's not the real thing. We're shrinking things down. We've got to make things really small. So here we go. And this is the scale we've got to use. Okay, we've got to shrink it by one and a half billion times. Okay, that probably doesn't mean a lot to us. We can't really fathom that, can we? But just be assured that it's a really, real big shrink, okay? And that's what we've got to start with, okay? So, who wants to come up and hold the world? Yeah, do you want to come and hold the world? You come over here, hold the world in your, between your things like that. Don't drop it, all right? The world is plenty broken already, okay? So, if you hold it there so everyone can see it. Now, we need somebody to hold our comparative size sun. Okay, yeah, come on then, Philly. You come and hold the sun. So, in our scale, in our model, 
That's the size of us, our planet, Earth. And this is the size of our nearest star, which is the sun. Inside the sun, you could fit 1.3 million Earths. Our whole massive, vast planet could fit inside the sun 1.3 million times. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, Flynn, I want you to think about... Well, okay, let me tell you. So, the sun is 93 million miles away from the Earth. Okay? Now, obviously, we're doing it with the model, so you haven't got lots of walking to do. But have a think. Where might you place yourself in our, in our model away from the Earth if you were the sun? Have a, have a walk. See where you might go. A bit limited on space, aren't we? So, we've really just got the stage. Yeah, okay, so that would be a good guess. I mean, who knows really what 93 million miles is like. But actually, what Flynn would have to do is walk out the building, go down to the car park, cross the road, and get nearly to the pond, okay? Now, that doesn't sound far, but remember, this is our model where we shrunk everything by one and a half million times. Okay, that fast distance. He'd have to go all the way down there. And our rocket, so we don't need to worry about the rocket, because the rocket is just going to go from Earth just 1% of the distance to the sun, which is... One oh, he's dropped the world! <laughs> Our rocket's going to be okay. So just 1% away from the Earth, it's still 930,000 miles away, and it's going to take four months for this rocket at high speed to travel there. It's still 99% away from the sun. Can you understand any of that? Because I can't. That's amazing, is it, Flynn? Do you want to come back and... And sit down. I think that is awesome, isn't it? And do you know what? Thanks, well done, thank you. There you go, so our little planet, the vast hugeness of the sun, 93 million miles away, and that's our closest star, that's just one star, and it's an average size one, okay? So one's much, much bigger, and millions and millions of them that we're beginning to uh, see through telescopes. It's incredible. Does that make you feel small? makes me feel very small. But then I thought, well, what, what's the Bible say? Okay, because this is really what we come on to, isn't it? One of the Psalms says this, that, and actually you sang it two weeks ago at the harvest service, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The heavens tell the glory of God. That's how magnificent and how powerful and wonderful God is. And the skies announce what his hands have made. I wonder what you can make with your hands. But the Bible describes that God just made the sun with his hands, made the planets, made the earth, made all the skies, uh, all the stars, and he just made them with his hands. How great and powerful must God be? Is that incredible? He's so huge. He's so massive. And um, it made me think of two wonderful things. Apart from the fact that he's a great creator... Because the Bible tells us, and the Bible is God's word and it's true. God has made all that. That's a wonderful and amazing thing we can't really understand. But there were two other things I just want to share with you that I thought were absolutely just amazing. And the first one really is more for the rest of us because we've got a bit more time under our belt and we have had a bit more experience in life. One of the most amazing things I think when we think about God's creation and all that he's made is how arrogant the human heart can be. That in this tiny little world, we can say, ah, no, God, no, it's all right. 
or we shrink God right down so that he's not offensive to us and he'll do what we want him to do. We question his ways, we ignore what he says and we reject him. How arrogant our hearts are. And we need to humble ourselves and perhaps today that's what you need to do. Humble yourself before God and turn to him. And the second really amazing thing that I thought of this was what David also said in another psalm and he said this and imagine him out on the hillside with his sheep at night looking at the sky where there's no street lights around and he sees all the stars and he says, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers the moon and the stars you have set in place he describes that God's just made them with his fingers and he's got a question he says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So what he's really saying is, God, you're so great, so vast and so amazingly powerful. Why on earth do you spend time caring for us? Tiny little creatures on tiny little earth. He couldn't get his head around it and neither can we, can we? God is so kind to us, even though he's so great and so powerful and so mighty that he takes care of us. He provides us with food. He provides a climate that we can live in. Imagine if God said, look, I'm just, I'm just sick and tired of these people on tiny planet Earth. I'm just going to melt them up. I'm going to bring the sun in and just destroy them. And I'm going to start over again because they've just rejected me all the time. Well, God, that's just going to happen one day. The Bible tells us that God's going to do that. He's starting over afresh. But in the days that we live now, God is patient, wonderfully patient. And he showers on us good things so that we will turn in repentance to him and trust in him. Loads to think about there, isn't there? And there always is when we think about God. So never think small when it comes to God. Lots of people have a tiny God. He's pathetic. Okay, but the God of the Bible, always think big. Okay, always think big. And it's a wonderful thing that he cares for us. Just one final thing I wanted to say that I just thought about. Isaiah, one of the prophets, was told to comfort uh, people who were going through a terrible time. And how is he going to do that? God said, go and remind the people uh, how great I am and how powerful I am. And that will be a great comfort to them, to know that their God is the one who takes care of them and nothing is too difficult for him. Good. You've listened really well. Do you want to go back to your seats now? Well, we're going to sing our next song, and it really follows on uh, the line of praise and worship as we think about the greatness of God. So let's stand to sing.
main Bible reading now, and we're continuing today in our series in Exodus. So uh, we're reading today Exodus chapter 3. If you've got a church Bible, turn to page 46, and we'll read from verse 1. As we go through the chapter, uh, a couple of questions to think about. Um, It's quite a long reading, um, but as we're going through... um, What do we learn about God in this chapter, is the first question. What do we learn about God in this chapter? What's he like? What are his attributes? Hopefully you should pick these things up as we we go through Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and, have come, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the, of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that I will, 
that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do, I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbour and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Well, John will be uh, opening that passage up to us um, a little bit later. But before we get to that, let's pray and ask God's blessing on, on the reading. Father, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You are the God of Moses and those great promises that you, have, uh, that you, that you gave Moses are as true today as they were for Moses then. Lord, we thank you for the, the written word of God that we can, um, that we can have this, uh, this account in history uh, recalled to us. And Lord, we pray that we will be able to learn from it. We pray, for your, um, we pray that you will provide us with a, a deeper understanding and an engagement with what we've just read. Lord, we, uh, as we come to the throne of grace now, Lord, we come, as Moses did, on holy ground. And we thank you that a way has been made for us to bring our prayers and petitions to you and uh, through our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, as, uh, as, as John opens it up to us, we pray that you will help him to, uh, to speak um, on this passage, and that, Lord, you, we will hear not John's voice, but we'll hear the voice of God, and that, Lord, the words that we hear uh, might do us good, and as we, as we know, Lord, we'll not return to you empty, but we'll achieve all that you have purposed. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, for, the, um, for this opportunity to hear the, the word of God open to us. I pray, Lord, that our ears will be ready to listen, our minds will be clear and free from distraction, and that, Lord, we might be able to uh, learn more about you and, and your holiness. So, Father, we bring these petitions to you now, and we pray for your blessing on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing our third song. Uh, it's a prayer as we, as we go into the sermon. Now in reverence and awe we gather round your word. In wonder we draw near to mysteries that angels strain to hear that prophets dimly saw. Let's stand and sing.
I don't know if you realise, but uh, our understanding and appreciation of who God is is probably the most important thing about us. Our understanding and appreciation of who God is is probably the most important thing about us. It's so foundational. It shapes everything else. A right understanding of our maker is key to our life and and to our future. Uh, One title a few years ago of a book was Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. It makes us think that job, that title, doesn't it? That book title. Is our idea of God, uh, our deep-seated understanding of God, too small? As a link with what we've just heard, actually, and I was going to say that I remember as a family... Uh, we watched the film Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Perhaps you've come across that film. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And in it you have some uh, quirky dad. Perhaps most dads are quirky, but you have in this one a particularly quirky dad who uh, invents things in his loft and he invents a machine to make things go small and to downsize. And it all goes horribly wrong as his children ending up being shrunk and the neighbour's children end up being shrunk and of course it's a big mistake and there's a state of desperation in the film as his children are reduced to miniatures. Well, we can't, we can't really reduce the almighty God to a miniature but we can in our, in our minds we can shrink him. We can make him pocket-sized. We can make him portable. We can make him convenient to carry round and to suit us other than having a view of God as he is in his greatness and glory. And do we need a bigger vision of God? Do you need a bigger vision of God, a bigger version of God in your mind and in your heart? Or do you have some sort of of fake cartoon idea of God in your mind? Well, the rescue has been brewing here in Exodus. We thought about that last week. A leader was being formed and developed and humbled and taught by God and God was actively concerned about the situation and that's where we ended up at the end of Exodus chapter 2. And in chapter 3, God God begins to intervene more directly. It's still at the early stages of the rescue, but God is clearly breaking through, and here especially by dealing directly with this man, Moses, who we've come across. And one of the things that is clear from this chapter is that Moses needs to have a clearer understanding of who God is. And the people in turn need to have a clearer understanding of who God is. And uh, 
this is one of the key things of this chapter. And as we go through this chapter, my hope and my prayer is that it will enhance your, my understanding of God. Not just in our minds, but in our hearts. And it will be timely for us to have a bigger understanding of God as we face our situation and as we go forward like Moses and the people of Israel did. So it's a chapter full of God as you see from the title. Exodus is a book full of God and within it perhaps this chapter uh, among most, perhaps the most or one amongst two or three is especially full of the character of God where it comes out very rich and deeply and we've got so much to learn about God from this chapter, I don't know if you were totting up some of the things you learn about God as we went through the reading but there are many things Uh, And what we're going to do this morning is I'm just going to look at the the three main things that happen in the chapter and then pick out a couple of things that each of those shows us about this God who we need to understand and respond to in our hearts. We have first the flame. It's the heading, I've got it, the flame. It's the first ten verses we learn about the holy and the stooping God. And the beginning of the chapter is known, perhaps you learn about it, Sunday school, some of you, is known as the burning bush. God hasn't spoken directly for centuries. And yet here he appears, he chooses to appear. It's not in the promised land, It's not in Egypt. It's in the West End. The West End of Midian territory, a place called Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. It's going to become a bit more famous as we go through the book of Exodus. And Moses had a failed attempt at freedom fighting about 40 years ago and he's content now to shepherd uh, the, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro through the wilderness. But God has other plans for him. Uh, perhaps can you recall sometimes passing uh, a scene where there is a fire um, it, made me think of in my life, three times when I was going in the car along the road, three different times where there was a building ablaze not far from the road, perhaps the emergency services there, catches your eye, doesn't it? You see an unexpected fire going on. Well, Moses' sight here is drawn to a bush that is burning. That's not totally unusual in a hot climate. You remember what happened in Greece uh, a couple of months ago and some of the islands of Greece when it was so hot and things were so combustible. So that's not totally unusual. But what's especially strange is that uh, although the bush burned, it was not consumed. In many ways, it's the non-burning bush. And Moses wants to investigate, as we see in verse 2. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to this great sight, why the bush is not burned. 
And although he's attracted by what he sees, it's what he hears that is most dramatic. A voice comes to him from the bush, and it's God speaking, Moses, Moses. Moses is listening. And the first comment is about footwear, but it conveys much more than that. Verse 5. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God's presence made the ground holy. Sandals, shoes contaminated by dirt were not fit to be worn. Don't come near, take off your shoes. This is a place of holiness. And God introduces himself in a remarkable way, verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God of the ages was appearing to Moses there at this bush scene, there with those flames. And what does Moses do? Verse 6. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The sight of the glory of God was, was too much for him. It would have been too much for him. No one can look at the face of God and live, we find elsewhere. God is holy, God is pure, God is a cut above us, God is superior to us, God is a God of glory and we are so feeble and we are so impure. Let's just pause there. Have you grasped something of God's holiness? It is a big need for us to grasp something of God's holiness. Have you grasped a sense of how much purer and glorious and better and more excellent and more brilliant God is than us? A sense that we're not worthy to be in his presence. We don't take off our shoes as we come into the building. They do, don't they, in some religious buildings. We'd have quite a pile of shoes in the foyer if we did that. We we don't do that. We don't need to do that in New Testament times. But there is a sense in which we come to worship, whether it be here, or we come in prayer to God, or you open your Bibles on your own. There is a sense in which, in our hearts, we should be taking off our shoes and realising we come to special territory as we encounter the living God who is holy. And yet this God who is so holy, 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 as the Bible teaches and we sang, though he is so uh, elevated, though he is so high, here we also see that he is a stooping God. He is speaking, it comes in this way, he's speaking to Moses. He's calling Moses by name and it's quite an endearing phrase apparently. Moses, Moses. He's the God who communicates. 
And if he didn't, we'd be left guessing, not knowing about him. God communicates, he stoops to communicate to Moses and his people. And in his stooping, he is concerned for them. And he's concerned for his people. Verse 7 onwards has sort of echoes, really, of uh, what we ended up with last week in Exodus 2. God knows, God is concerned. He realises the terrible suffering that his people are going through. It's in his mind. It's on his radar, as we thought last week. It's the theme that some of us thought about during the week in home groups as we looked at wonderful psalm, Psalm 139, that God knows. And here he adds in verse 8, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I may be a cut above, I may be high and exalted, but I am stooping. I am coming down, I am coming to enter, I am coming to act, I am coming to deliver. Then Moses hears the alarm in part. Verse 10. And I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses might like the sound of it generally, but he doesn't like the sound of it including him. So we have our first part of the chapter, the flame, the burning bush. Reminds us of the holiness of God, and yet God who comes down and stoops and delivers in amazing grace and compassion. Two aspects. But there's more to know about God in this chapter. We come next to the name, the name, verses 11 to 15, and we get a sense of the eternal and present God. So Moses hears that he has a role to play, and he, he doesn't feel up to the task. I think he's got pretty sore memories of his last time in Egypt, when he had to flee because of Pharaoh, and he wasn't very popular with his own kinsmen, the Hebrews. And he's probably quite settled here in, um, in the area of Sinai, and uh, serving his father-in-law, and being a shepherd to the sheep. And he has, some, he has some objections to the idea of going. They come through chapters 3 and 4, uh, and we're, we're, we'll look at them a bit more fully next week. But there are a couple in this first section. First, he objects in verse 11 by saying that I am not worthy. Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then he wonders what he would say to the leaders when he sees them there in Egypt and is speaking to the Israelite leaders. And if they ask about God, and he says, well, what shall I say about God and what is his name? Verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? The answer to these two objections 
are profound and deep and weighty and encouraging and worship-stirring and comforting. So we're thinking about the name revealed in just these few verses in God's answers to Moses' objections. Now, names for us are often just a label, aren't they? I don't know if, what if you know what your name means. Perhaps you don't know what your name actually means. Most of us look it up at some point. Uh, John means God is gracious. Oh, I'm quite happy with the meaning of my name. Uh, I don't know if my parents looked up uh, the meaning of it 54 years ago, whether they got one of these little books out and said, well, uh, the name of John, it means this, this is what I... I don't know as many parents did that in those days. I expect they just thought, well, John's quite a popular name and we're quite happy with John, we'll call him John. And so I was called John. And perhaps it was the same for you. And maybe as you chose for your children... Or maybe you were looking into things, but often we don't do that these days. It's just a a nice label. But in Bible times, names was much more significant. For name, almost read nature, character, attributes, what they're like, what their role is. Back to Moses' objections. The initial answer to his first objection, I'm not worthy to go, God says, I will be with you. There's a few things you're going to hear here. We're going to sort of bring them all together, I hope. I will be with you. It's a constant encouragement in the Bible, isn't it? Has been to Christians in the face of difficulties. Should have been to Moses heading to Egypt. You might not feel adequate, Moses. Well, actually, it's not really about you. I will be with you. But we had to take that answer and we combine it with what else unfolds in these verses to the answer to the second question. When Moses says, well, what shall I say about you? And when they ask, what is, what is the name of God? What does God say here? Verse 15. Verse 14. And God said to Moses... I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What do you make of that? It's unusual, isn't it? I am that I am. I am has sent me to you. Well, there's an, there's an element of mystery about this. But there's certain things we, we can gather from this profound and weighty declaration of God's nature. Part of it is conveying God's independence. I am who I am. I am that I am. God is who he is. God is the the starting point. There's no reference points for God. God is not dependent on anything else. In the same way as the fire was not dependent on the bush and consuming it, God is not dependent on anything outside of himself. 
He's not derived from anything. He doesn't originate. He is the self-existent, never-changing, self-sufficient Lord. There's a sense of the independence of God, the uniqueness of God, the self-containedness of God. There's also a sense of eternity about this name. The tense is not specified in the original language, so it could have been, I have been who I have been, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Or it could be, I will be what I have been. There's the sense of God being never changing, the eternal God. And the next verse is along these lines. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Independence of God, self-sufficiency of God, the eternity of God, timelessness of God. And there's also a sense of, of presence about it. It's a sense of God being with his people. The God who was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would continue to be with his people. The sounding of the name in Hebrew is similar to the verse 12, I will be with you. And the I am who I am, the I am who I am will be with you. He's going to be present with his people. And in verse 15, I know this is quite, I hope you'll get, I hope you'll be able to combine some of this. Verse 15, he, he says to say to Israel, the Lord, you've got it in capitals, and you find that sometimes in your Bible, don't you? The Lord is in capitals. And why, why is it in capitals? Well, it's the name Yahweh in Hebrew. And it's the way God declares himself as his covenant-keeping personal name, Yahweh. And he's to say that to people. In some ways, it is like a, a shortened version of I am who I am and I will be with you in the name he gives, which is the Lord. Now, I don't know if it helps. I'm not trying to trivialise. I'm trying to make it accessible because I realise this is a weighty chapter but maybe it'll help. Maybe a good friend says to you, I will always stand by you. Okay? And then they give a bit more explanation and the friend says about themselves, I aim to be faithful always and committed. I will stand by you. Said they will stand by you. They said about their character, will stand by you. And you say, "Well, well, what's the name of this friend? And it's Stan. Okay, they stand by you. I'm the sort of person who does stand with you. What's your name? Stan. And it sort of makes you think of the other two things. Well, in the same way here, 
Yahweh, the Lord, which is the name that's going to be given, is full of these two wonderful things. The God who promises to be present with his people, the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God. He is the one who is going to be with them when they say, the Lord, it brings all this baggage. So God is revealing these things about his nature in this little interchange with Moses about the name. Well, maybe this is going over your head, so I realise this is quite uh, thought-provoking. But I hope it's not. I hope it's stirring your hearts. The I will be with you of verse 12. The I am who I am of verse 14. The Yahweh of verse 15. All combined to this, that the eternal, ever-living God chooses to be with his people. And wasn't that good for Moses to hear when he was frightened scared of the future? And isn't it good for you to hear when you're frightened scared of the future? And wasn't it good for Moses to hear as he had a major task to take on? And isn't it good for you to hear as you go forward in service? So, the flame, holy and stooping God, the name, the eternal and present God. Come on to the last part of the chapter. The game plan, verses 16 to 22. The saving and victorious God. Well, I'm hoping it helps fix it in the mind, the three sort of symmetries of the headings, flame, name, game plan. Obviously, it's not a game. It's far too serious for that. But we use the phrase game plan uh, in... In, in politics, in, in business, as well as in sport, where we're spelling out the route ahead, the action plan, the game plan. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. You have, don't you, your business, you have your, perhaps your medium-term planning processes or your school action plan or all sorts of plans with certain items of what you're going to do in the coming months and maybe years. Well, God does that for Moses in the rest of the chapter. And I'll I'll just summarise. He he tells him up front, tells him, he really tells him actually, almost the next eight chapters of Exodus here, he tells them at the end of chapter 3, Moses will go to Egypt and gather the leaders of Israel together. He will tell them that God knows what they're going through. That he hasn't forgotten his promise. The leaders will listen on the first occasion to Moses as he speaks to them. They will go to Pharaoh and ask to be let free to go and worship God away from Egypt on a journey. Pharaoh will not let them go until God demonstrates his unmistakable power. God will perform amazing feats in Egypt and Pharaoh in the end will let them go. He's told all of this in advance. And he's told this as well. When the women, when, when they go, the women of Egypt will be so pleased to get rid of them that they will give them lots of valuables so that they head off with some resources. The game plan, the action plan. 
God would rescue, he would save. He would have the victory. Pharaoh will not stop God's people from worshipping or from getting away to the land that God had given them. The slavery, the hardship, the ruthless treatment would come to an end. God's people would triumph. The promise to Abraham would be fulfilled. Now, our plans are often laughable. You look at your medium-term plan a couple of years later in business, you think, well, that's what we were going to do, but it's not turned out anything like that, or your action plan. But God's plan, as a person in control and sovereign, will be the way things unfold in the coming chapters. The God of history, the God of rescue, the God who will give them victory. Well, Moses is still not set on the idea of taking a role in this plan, as we shall see next week. But just reflecting out a bit at the end here, we've had a chapter full of God. I wonder if you've been impressed by the revelation of God in this chapter. Has your shrunken view of God started to be restored to size. Of course, in the, in the film, as you can imagine, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it ends up with him working out a way to reverse the process and in the end the children end up on the machine or whatever and it's reversed and they're back to normal. Has, has your shrunken view of God started to be restored to size? Is there a sense of adoration and worship at the holy, stooping, eternal, present, saving, victorious God. God's glory is revealed in this chapter. Just to end on this though, God's glory is most revealed in his son Jesus. And as you think of what we've learned on the right-hand side, just let me finish on these points. Does it strike you that you think of one point when Jesus is seen in his unmasked brilliance and they fall down and worship at his glory and holiness? amazing to you that Jesus stooped to come down to become a servant to stoop all the way to the cross do you find it startling that at one point Jesus said before Abraham was I am her religious leaders were certainly startled and wanted to stone him What about the thought that Jesus said at the end of his ministry? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We think about the fact that it's said of Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What do you think about the fact that we're told that we are more than conquerors 
through him that loved us. We see an immense amount, don't we, of the glory of God in chapter 3. And I hope you felt that. But we're told even more that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I hope as we've seen some of that glory of God this morning, it will enlarge the view of God in your own mind and heart. It will equip you to face the difficulties that you're currently going through and it will help you as you go forward in service as you have a bigger understanding of the glory of God. Well, let's let's just pause um, ourselves to pray quietly before we sing a song of worship. I'm hoping that God has used this time to reveal himself to us. Uh, Maybe you want to respond in a particular aspect of praise and worship privately before we sing. So let's have a moment. Shall we turn then to our last song? In awe and wonder, Lord our God, we bow before your throne. Such holiness and burning love are yours and yours alone.
Lord, we worship you as mighty and yet merciful, as transcendent and yet imminent, as above your people and yet wonderfully among your people, as great and yet gracious. Give us a greater understanding of your wonderful glory, we pray. Amen.